What was your favorite Christmas gift this year? For Joy and I, hands down, it happened before Christmas. I met him on the bridge between where we live and Northampton. I had seen him many times, and just to give you a picture in your mind, he's homeless, but that doesn't define him. Met him on the bridge, and I told him Joy hadn't been feeling well. And he said, oh, poor Miss Joy. He said, I'll be praying for her. And that night, right before um, it got dark, it was just beginning to get dark, I hear a knock on our side door by the deck. And there he stood. And he had this beautiful vase of flowers. And it wasn't the $4.99 type you get at the supermarket. It was the $60, $75 type and a brand new vase, not something he had dug up from the oily black dirt down by our home where he had stayed many nights and slept under his tent. It was beautiful. It was astounding. And he said, I, um, I told my friends over at the hotel, and they had spent many times down there too at the still section of the river, enjoying the place where uh, I take care of and where I always prayed, God, let people find peace here. And they came, and a lot of them were hard on their luck. And he said, I, I told him, Miss Joy wasn't feeling too well, and we got this for you. Wow. I mean, when he left, that's the closest I think I've ever felt in my life to what Jesus must have felt when, when that woman poured the expensive alabaster jar over him. And when he left, you know what I did. I'm not crying. You're crying. I was speechless. It was a gift that just kept on giving, and I'll never forget it. And I took a picture of it, but if I lose it in the clouds, I'll never lose it in my mind. This is the time of year when we do resolutions. And I wondered, as I thought about this, would there be such a thing as resolutions in the Bible that you couldn't break? That they would just keep on giving and giving. And I thought if there would be something like that, it probably would be resolutions that you make with some other people. So that uh, I thought, you know, most resolutions are broken because we make them for our own good, to meet our own goals, for our own happiness. And would it be able to find something in the Bible where there would be resolutions that could be made with other people for the common good? And thanks to you, you get a sermon this morning. I found them in the book of Revelation in what was just read to you. And Pastor Melanie got it right. She said, Nicolaitans. That's what it was. Let's hear it. She did it. She got it right. All right. Oh, those nasty Nicolaitans. Don't ever forget them. Listen, we have several things that just came to us from what Paul was telling these seven local churches. And they could all um, do these resolutions together. The first one is this. Remember where God found us. That's resolution number one. Just remember where God brought you from and where he found you. Remember, because he said, 
remember the height from which you have fallen. He's telling them basically, you have fallen and you can't get up. Remember where God found you and remember where he brought you from. We have a very close friend whom I guess would say that she was a Christian all of her life, but got involved in a relationship for 20 years. And it wasn't a marriage relationship, just a relationship. And she wasn't doing much church or much talking with God through that time. And one morning she woke up at his place. And she said she heard a voice deep inside of her that said, what? are you doing here? And she walked out of that place and she never went back and she's been on talking terms with God ever since. Have you ever heard the voice that stopped you cold and said, what are you doing here? In a place where maybe you have fallen and you can't get up. Here's your resolution and mine. Remember where God found you. David remembered one day, you can find it in Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me up out of this slimy pit. Out of the mud and mire, he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. See what he's doing? He's remembering where God found him, and it was a slimy pit. Somebody is watching me today, or somebody's sitting here saying, poor guy. And I know some people who have been rescued from slimy pits that uh, really, Scott, um, when he found me, he found me being, being pretty good and doing good things. I never did horrible things. I never did horrible sins like some people. I never fell far. I never considered myself a mess that God had to clean up. And, you know, um, we just did communion. I, I really can honestly say that wasn't my fault that Jesus was crucified. I wasn't there, and if I'd have been there, that wouldn't have been my fault. There is no connection between me and Jesus dying on a cross. Is that so? Sir, ma'am, kid, would you mind if we put up on these three big screens every thought you've ever had and every motive you've ever had and every secret sin you've ever committed would you still say there is no connection between me and Jesus dying on a cross? Would you still say, I didn't fall far. God got a prize when he got me. Or would you say, like we just sang in a song, it was my cross you bore. I live in a freedom you died for. There was once a film, some of you may have seen it, called Saving Private Ryan. And in that film, there was a, and it's a true story based on a true story. There was a widow who had lost two sons in the war. And her third son was 
in the heat of the war. And the word got to the president, and he said to his key strategist and leader, you go and find Private Ryan. Wherever he is, and you risk it all, and you send a special team, and you go find Private Ryan, and you bring him back to his mom. This is one mom that's not going to lose all our sons. And so they did. And in that horrible process, these gifted, talented, brave men went into the heat of the battle. And he lost seven of them trying to save Private Ryan. And they did. And as they got away from the heat of the battle and they could no longer hear the guns, the major who brought him out, they were leaning against a tree, he and Private Ryan. And he said, son, you're safe now. You're free. Don't waste it. And he didn't. As long as he lived, he remembered where he had come from and the sacrifice that it took. And that's one resolution all of us can make to remember where God found us and what he saved us from and what he delivered us from. Is there anyone here or within the sound of my voice that could not make that resolution? Please, God, help me to remember where you brought me from and a height from which I have fallen and couldn't get up. That's resolution number one. Resolution number two is repent for forsaking your first love. You could also use the word return there. Repent simply means to turn around and change the things. And in this passage is saying, what I want you to do, Christians, is this. You, you go back. You remember where he brought you from. But I want you to turn around and I want you to do something. I want you to do what you did at first. I often am in a session with uh, folks who want to be married. And I give them this advice. I sit them down and I say, now, you two, there's going to be something that's going to happen. For the first few months when you're married, people are going to see you and they're going to say, I see you got, still got the honeymoon glow. And what they mean is this. I'm just telling you right now. What they mean is this. You'll lose it because they lost it. Here's your assignment. I want you to find somebody at the seven to 10 year point who are living proof that marriage was created by God to get happier and happier, because that's when a lot of them part ways. And then I want you to find a couple who are living proof that God created marriage to get deeper and happier at the 25 or 30 year point. And then I want you to find a grandma and grandpa at the 50 year point of their marriage who are living proof that God created marriage to get happier and happier, and they never lost the honeymoon. And that's their assignment. And I say, when you find them, study them and interview them, because it's not only possible, this is exactly what God wants. This is what, what John was saying to the churches through the Holy Spirit was this, you've lost your first love. 
You're not as excited as you were when you first came to me and you were telling everybody about this because it was the most important thing in your life. And you've forsaken that. And there's something different now. By the way, for every healthy relationship, marriage is included. I think you have to have several elements in it. One is spontaneity. Another is uh, surprise, unpredictability. And I added one of my own called mischief. That should be part of every healthy relationship. If you have a friend or a spouse that you can predict everything they're going to say and do, um, that's boredom. There's nothing exciting about that. You've got to be able to go back to your first love that ever drew you together in the first place and recapture that. In fact, in another church that John was writing to just a little later in this chapter, in verses in chapter 219, he says, you should be doing more than you did at first, way more. I wonder if in your relationships with others, if you are doing more than you did at first, more than even when you first were trying to win them over, this is what John says we should be doing as a church. And we should be making this resolution that we're going to turn around and go back and we're going to do even more than we did when we were first trying to impress that one that we love, doing more by the Holy Spirit promptings, finding new ways to serve God and each other. There's a book uh, some of you have read called um, The Five Love Languages. How many people have ever heard of that or maybe read a lot of you? There's another one by the same author, Gary Chapman, called The Five Languages of Apology. How many of you have read that? Three, one, that one you need as much as the other in order to know what a true apology is so you can go back and turn around and go back to really reconnect with that person or that God that you have offended. And I'll give you the whole book in just um, capsule form, it's this. The first step in the languages of apology is to say, I'm sorry. And so a lot of people work up the nerve to do that. And then they come back to the pastor and say, I told her I was sorry. What more she want? I say, well, she, you didn't speak her language of apology. What's that? Okay, here we go. First you say, I'm sorry. And then... Maybe she's wanting you to go another step and say, when I did this, when I said this, it made you feel like this. And she goes, mm-hmm. Tried that with joy once. Got that far and she says, we won't have to ever talk about this again. I forgive you. But folks, if that doesn't do it, there's another step. And it says very simply this, I will try never to let this happen again. Are you taking in your minds and placing this before God right now? Have you ever used the five languages of apology? 
and repentance on God. I'll try never to let that happen again. Not like the abusive person who smacks somebody and nearly kills them and says, I promise I'll never do that again, come back. This says, I'll try never to let that happen again. And it says to the other person, we'll see, I'm really going to try. And then the next language of apology is, this one's dangerous, because it's going to be an answer from the person you've offended, and it's this. Is there anything you can think of that I could do that would make this better? You are in deep trouble. <laughs> yes, there will be. And you better be willing to do it. You've come this far. Try asking God that sometime. You're in deep trouble. Because he's going to give you something that you can do that says, yes, yes, you can do something. He's going to ask you to do something that only in his strength could you do. And the final step is simply this, asking somebody. There's some of you sitting here and listening today who there's somebody in your life and they never said these beautiful words to you. Will you please forgive me? I think they're as beautiful as the words, I love you. Will you please forgive me? This is a resolution that we all can make. We can say, Lord, help me to return. I repent of leaving my first love of you and of others. And then the third one is simply this. I, I found it. It has to start with an R because the first two points did. So you remember, you repent or return, and now you report to God. There is another R word, R-E word, and that is if, if you don't do these two things, I'll remove your place of influence, and your life will never say what I really wanted it to say. And so we get ready to report back to God. We report to him every morning. We should report back to him every night because every moment of these lives that we are now living is preparation for the single moment in which every one of us will stand before God. We're going to report in. I have never in my life had anybody argue with me that they're not going to die. But it's what happens after we die that really brings the message of the gospel home, and that is that we will each stand before God personally. And we're spending, so many of us, all of our time getting ready when all God says is, I just want you to be ready. Be ready at all times. And so he gives us a picture. It's in, once again, the book of Revelation, chapter 20. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Each person 
was judged according to what they had done. Then death and hell were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. It sounds to me like there's something we ought to be getting ready for. Does it sound that way to you? And my question to you today is, are you ready? As Pastor Kevin says, we bring this plane in for a landing. I want to tell you about a responsibility I had when I was in seminary. Joy and I were so thankful when God opened up a door for us to be caretakers of a very wealthy <clears throat> lady's estate up north of Boston. And my job was simply to take care of that estate. There were acres of it. There was lots of exotic trees and bushes around. There was a big lake that we looked down over. She was a lawyer, went into Boston, and would come home maybe just several times uh, during the year. But um, I loved taking care of that place and always had it every week. I had my schedule and just had it just so perfect. And I almost felt like I owned it. I thought, boy, wonder if this is what ministry is going to be like. And she seldom came home, but I still remember that as well as the grounds, which I loved keeping, she had this indoor garden, and it was vines with great big elephant leaves on it. And all I had to do was keep that watered. And as I looked at it, the vines, it took years for it to get like this, were all intertwined with each other, and they all drooped down, and they were a sick-looking bunch. If they could have talked, as some people think that plants can talk, they would have just said, bleh. Um, they, they were sick. And I thought, you know, I know that she likes plants, and I wonder if... I could untangle them, and I spent days untangling them and taking out excess and cutting back and reading up on it, and uh, sure enough, they, I, I put sticks in there, and they began growing just right. And when she finally did come home, oh, she saw me out in the rain mowing, and she was pretty impressed. But pretty soon, she said, Scott, what have you done to my garden? It looks so happy. She said, I'm going to double your salary. And she did. And I never had to pay another dollar for rent. I not only had fun doing it and was ready for her to come back, I was rewarded for it as well. I was ready for my report of when she came back. Are you ready for your report? If you're not ready here, God will remove your place and my place of influence. It happens to churches. It happens to lead pastors. It happens to pastoral staff. It happens to those of you who come or listen in to church every week that if we cannot somehow make those three resolutions in our Christian life, 
that we will remember where God brought us from. We'll repent and return. And we're going to be ready at all times to report in. Then we will lose the place that God has for us. And I don't think anything or anybody in this earth is worth losing those three resolutions on. I don't think there's any of those resolutions that I don't want to keep. And with your help and God's, I will keep them. And with our help and yours, you will keep them. Now, somebody is probably sitting here today, and if I were to ask, how did God speak to you through this message, through these reminders and these resolutions? Maybe you would choose one of them. But I'm pretty sure somebody needs an evangelist today. Somebody is saying, um, first point, there's nothing to remember because I've never been on talking relationships with God. There's nothing to remember. What was your second point? Well, you repent, you return to God and to your first love of him. That's not possible because I cannot say that I've ever had a personal relationship with God, that I really love him like I love other people. And that uh, third point about reporting back to God, that's the only one I'm sure about. That if that place you talked about where we will one time, sometime answer to God, I do know this, I am not ready for that but I'd like to be ready. If, if, Pastor Scott, there is a way I could be ready, not just spend all my life trying to get ready, could you tell me what it is? Yes, I can. We tell you about it every week. It's as easy as A, B, C. It's to admit that you are a sinner and that, in fact, it was your sins and mine that sent Jesus to the cross. B, believe that he died on the cross for your sins and that he is the only way of salvation. And C, confess all of your sins to him and call on Jesus as Lord. Confess that he is Lord. Invite him to come in as an act of your mind and your emotion and your will and he will come in and then you can get on the same road that the rest of us are and make these three resolutions your prayer would go something like this let's all pray together somebody's here today and they're praying oh god i have strayed from my first love of you and i am so sorry please I want to come back and I want to resolve together with everyone else this morning. I'm going to remember where you brought me from. I'm going to come back. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to be ready right now, right now, to report back in with you. To be ready if you came back for me or required my life of me today, even right now, that I'm ready to do that and for someone else 
who is praying today, Lord Jesus, I don't know why now. I've heard it a thousand times. I don't know why right now. I'm ready. And I confess that I've sinned before you. And that I'm going to face you one day. And I don't want to do it alone. I thank you for Jesus. Dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my heart. Invite you in to be Savior and Lord. And start me on my way to obeying and to fulfilling these three resolutions that everybody else made today. Thank you for coming in my heart and my life to be my Savior and my Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.